What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 25. We're joined today by Steven and Karen Kekalek, the founders of Indie Grow. Indie Grow is a full vertical cannabis microbusiness located in Western Michigan. They've hit the ground running here and created a craft operation in downtown Muskegon with an eye for quality and community. Find out more at IndieGrowMI.com. That's I-N-D-I-G-R-O-W-M-I.com. And enjoy the show. Guys, welcome to the show. Oh, hey, th- yeah. hey thanks so much, Rob. We're, uh, we're happy to be here. Uh, kind of as you said, we own a, one of 10 micro-business licenses in the state of Michigan. So we grow it all on site, we process it all on site, and sell it all here. We're also lucky enough now to have a consumption area next door, so we got the whole uh, microbrewery experience going on here. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know about the consumption laws passing in Michigan or moving on. Did everyone with a micro-business license get consumption space or was that a separate uh, a separate licensing act well so that's a little bit of an interesting story so the land that the consumption place next to us is on is on a, is separately owned there is no actual licensing for outdoor consumption areas uh, so essentially you think of it kind of like a backyard awesome, so awesome. it is like blocked <laughs> from the public view so you can't see it from the street which is really the only legal requirement Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's convenient then. And it's ha- having somewhere to go. I mean, with cannabis tourism or, you know, traveling, you want to try out the market. It's, it's getting easier and easier to find the dispensary and harder to find where to just pull over for a minute or where to be for a while and rest. So that's cool to be able to provide that alongside the license or alongside the business. On the, on the micro business side, I didn't realize how few micro business licenses were granted in Michigan. How, uh, how was that experience for you guys? Or maybe if we rewind even further back, how did you come to the decision to apply? Yeah. So great question. We started, uh, we opened April 19th of last year for production, but it was definitely two years coming. Um, we kind of looked at the whole market and really the only way to guarantee quality, which was our biggest gripe about the market when we moved up here is to control all aspects. And to do that, you can either own all three license types, which is just a massive undertaking, or you can own a micro business, which you get to do essentially all of the steps of the process, but on a, on a micro scale. So. Right. That way you can, you can really uh, see every step, you know, if, if anything was missed and you can kind of see that finished product and um, have almost that craftsman approach towards it. Um, it's after seeing its origin and kind of, it's full fruition. It does feel like a microbrewery, I imagine. Oh, it's Absolutely. so much like it. And I'll tell you what, you know, I, I'm not a grower. We, we hired a caregiver to be our grower. We felt the need to, those guys kind of paved the path through that legal gray area, you know, back in 2017, 2018. And so to really see how much of an art growing these plants is, I, I'm not sure how you can do it on a big scale with enough due diligence to the plants. You know, I mean, we, we only have under 50 plants. And our grower spends every minute 
of every day in those in those rooms to foliate. Sitting with the ladies. Yes. <laughs> you know, and really, it's such an art that I feel like you got to be careful not to lose that. You know, in in the race to make the cheapest gram, or, or you know. Yeah, the the kind of race to the bottom that large quantity cultivation facilities are experiencing is is kind of partially due to and contributing to the kind of lack of focus they can give to 2,000 plants or, you know, a million square feet of canopy space in some of these massive greenhouses. Uh, it becomes a different type of product and I think a different kind of experience as well. And yeah. like early in the cannabis markets, it's very much um, one experience that everybody's after and that's just getting cannabis again or having easy access to it. Yeah. But as those consumers get educated or as everyone gets used to that novelty, I think it, the market starts to split to where folks really want that lower, lower cost, like more available, uh, maybe daily driver kind of product versus those that would be after the, the other side of that barbell, right? Mm. The quality and connoisseurship side of things, maybe exploring different products and things like that. Um, which side of the fence is, does Indigrow fall on right now? Do you have products kind of in, in both categories or are you aiming towards one side or the other? Yeah. So I, th I think that is one of the greatest misnomers and the reason why there's only 10 licenses in Michigan. We sell our products for just quick numbers at you, Rob, 30 bucks an eighth, 150 an ounce. I mean, that's middle market. Mm -hmm. And we're talking cannabis trains yeah. that are 10 times what you're getting at the dispensaries. Really only that's because... That's a dream compared to Las Vegas prices down oh. here. <laughs> I, I don't hear the horror stories from Vegas, but I definitely hear them from Illinois. 90 and 8th, like I, I can't even imagine. And they tell me in Illinois, you don't even get to see the product. You go to a little window and it, it's, like, it's like back when I bought it when I was younger, you know? You get what you get. <laughs> Just deliver the bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how it is in, on the Vegas side too. You know, small opaque bags could be like opaque packaging completely. You can pretty much read the label, can't smell, touch, or do anything along those lines, which makes it pretty hard to justify, you know, 70 plus for an eighth. Uh, like, you know, when you're getting up towards the top shelf, you can obviously find deals, but um, you'll feel those deals in the lungs and <laughs> you'll know <Yeah>. about them. <laughs> yeah, that's, and really, I think Michigan sees that the worst. I mean, we, for a while, there are cheapest ounces in town with $20. Okay, I mean, so it actually had a a lower price at first and has kind of crept up or as the market has matured. I think we had a giant influx of growers last mm -hmm. year and dispensaries could just name their price essentially, you know, someone was going to sell it because somebody needed to pay a bill. Well, now that that's kind of reversed and so now a lot of these dispensaries that carried the dollar pre-rolls and all that, they've lost the customers because they don't they can't there's not an abundance of flour anymore. So I think for the first time in two months, they've seen an increase in the average cost of cannabis. But for us, okay. it doesn't change, you know, because we control everything here. Right. You don't have to worry about the one one part of that supply chain having issues or someone raising their prices or getting taxed worse than, than the rest of the supply chain. There's so many variables in there that can uh, mess with quality and, and quantity. When you were setting up the business there... Uh, how was finding a location? Did you already have a town in mind um, there? In, you're in Muskegon, right? Yeah, we're in Muskegon. Um, we originally did not look at Muskegon because they had – Muskegon embraced cannabis very early on. So it's on the west side, it's the number one place with cannabis dispensaries. We got 15 in town. 
Um, but honestly, we ended up here just because the, the, the city was willing to let us go downtown and acknowledging the fact that a micro business license is different than a dispensary. That that really is a hard concept to explain to people who are not cannabis focused. It's I mean, and essentially when we, when we tried to go to these city governments, nobody knew about cannabis. They you, they couldn't tell you where it came from. They couldn't tell you what the plants looked like. So a lot of our time was spent educating city and state officials. Really explaining the lay of the land, the options, or kind of giving them some foundation to to feel confident enough to make a decision, right? Yeah, yeah. And explain to them too, you know, in Michigan, c- cities only get a bonus for every retailer they have. They don't get a bonus for every grower, which to me is, is way the wrong direction. So we just explained to the city that we bring the bonus of a retailer, but we hire the 20 workers. And for a, a production town like Muskegon, that's, that means everything to them. It's a huge benefit to be able to give back to the community and make some homes there in the community as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you have 20 employees working the facility, or what's the staff at at this point? We have, we have 15 on staff, and then we have us. So we're, we're around 20 employees full-time. Oh, yeah. and wow. You know how it is when you're trimming, you know, 20 it's to constant. 40 pounds. <laughs> it's constant. Grab a tray or uh, get, the, get the line ready. How are you guys handling trimming? I guess at 150 plants, I guess it depends on how much you're pulling down at once or how many folks you really want to give scissors to. Uh, yeah. hand, hand trimming at this point or using a machine option? No, so you'd be proud of us. All of our bud we sell is hand trimmed. Hey, you get the apartment 113 stamp of approval you know, today. Like <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you knock off so much of the, the valuable trichom, trichomes, you lose that, that resinous cannabinoid goodness in the in the trimming process and um, honestly there's a there's a little bit of an art to just trimming a a nug too that you can appreciate pulling out of the jar if you kind of know what you're looking for right seeing those snipped like leaves that are snipped kind of above the bracts or above the split and things like that can uh, can detract but um, yeah hand trimmed is beautiful man when you got started there was there one part of the full vert of the micro business that you that you did first, you know, I'm, I cultivation takes the longest, but sometimes that can take the most effort to get started as well. Kind of where did you approach setting up a micro business? So, on, so honestly, the, the, you know, I didn't know much about growing or processing. I have a ton of retail experience. So we knew what we wanted the retail experience to look like. Hmm. So we built backwards from there. Oh, okay. Um, really, we, we just kind of set up the shell, you know, heat pumps, LED lights, and then we had the grower fill in the rest. Because okay, we awesome. Instead of paintbrushes, everyone wants different tools. So I, I kind of left it up, you know, even in our processing suite. We, we got all the basic stuff that you would need, and then all the ancillary and specialized equipment we let the heads of the department pick out. Because at the Wait end till you day, bring that team on. Yeah. The, uh, you're only as good as your team. I, I can't make every product in the building. You know, I need these guys to be on it and be passionate about it. And you don't get that unless you're involved from the beginning. Yeah, getting some skin in the game. And uh, that's how you get employees who act more like missionaries, you know, trying to build something that they believe in and less like mercenaries getting paid to accomplish a goal or, you know, just getting paid to stay there till the end of the day. (laughs) Yeah, there's some ownership there for sure. You know, And, and with us growing pretty much only sativas anywhere near us, it's, it's a whole different ball game, you know, so, so getting people and training them. We, we brought a lot of in, people who are outside the industry in 
because we didn't want them to come with the bad habits of these commercial grows, you know, where it's so many growers told us 60 days and I chop them down. Well, me and you both know that's not how that works. There's going to be some variation there pretty hard depending on your cultivar environments and everything else, right? <laughs> so you needed someone to kind of come in with and treat the situation um, with some seriousness, right? Bring and and bring a, an intent to work or to, to learn. And I think that sometimes you can learn those bad habits early on, probably in any profession, and they just become a core. And in cannabis, we had a lot of bad habits, I think, because of the way the industry is uh, yeah. kind of been a, uh, above and, and below ground. I have, I, yeah, I mean, I've heard some crazy stories about, you know, what these, these guys are expected to do. Mm-hmm. But honestly, with cannabis... As long as you, you give these guys, you know, the, the employees the respect and ownership, I mean, some of our greatest ideas come from our trimmers, you know, the grower assistants. You just got to listen. Yeah. People people like cannabis. They really do like it. So if you just foster that, right, the, the right. business is much better. The environment is much happier. Fueling the fire that's already there instead yeah. of trying to build a different one or, <laughs> or start your own. Yeah. I mean, we do a lot of monthly meetings and stuff, too, just that way the whole staff can sit down and connect and kind of pin ideas off of each other. And, I mean, sometimes the ideas don't work out and and whatever, but it's nice for everyone to sit there and really feel connected, hear about what's going on in the processing and the growing and the retail, and just all kind of collaborate and connect. Awesome. Yeah, that that really does sound collaborative. There's a there's a term in the product management space called psychological safety in the workplace. And, you know, meetings like that really build psychological safety up more. And Google did this study called Project Aristotle, where they looked over all their Google teams individually and said, which ones are our most successful ones? And what are the factors for their success? Why are they so good? And they found actually at the end of the day, it's the psychological safety that made them better. Um, so even their most successful teams, like all these smart guys, you know, developing and planning products, it was still kind of their own, their working environment and the culture that um, made or broke the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, the reason I love cannabis is I, I, you know, I got into cannabis in my early 20s and it's like, it's such a community and like a cool thing. You know, you find a strain, you want to share it with everyone, like, yeah. Being a micro, like, we get to make some of the coolest stuff, man. I, honestly, in the lab, we get to make, you know, different treats and live resin vape carts, and we're moving to all single source stuff. To be able to do that, get the team involved, try it all together, share our experiences. Right. I don't know if it'd be <laughs> cool to work anywhere else after doing this, to be honest. It's a dream, man. When you when you first started smoking, d- did you ever envision this in, in Michigan or imagine yourselves in you know, in this kind of business, let alone um, helping to run it and, you know, push the envelope for the state? I, to be honest, if you would have told me this when I first started smoking and all I knew was Kush and Chronic and didn't have the orange hairs or not, not a chance. Yeah. I mean, I grew up as a kid in Indiana. Okay, we're still putting people into prison for that. All right. So you came from Indiana over to Michigan um, with the with the industry or beforehand? No, beforehand. I... Uh, I'll let her tell you her story, oh, okay. her story but yeah. Back, and yeah, so I'm born and raised in Michigan. Love, love Michigan. Moved to Indiana to go to law school, which is where I met Steven. I knew I was not going to stay in Indiana, 
And so I kept telling Stephen, you know, we're going to move back to Michigan one day. And at first he wasn't too sure about it. But now that he's here, he's uh, pretty happy to be a Michigander. So. Just had to win him over with a cannabis business. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. That's, that's about how that went. Carrot on a stick right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. Uh, so that's and it really cool to bring it um, home. Is is Muskegon near your uh, yeah. your hometown as yeah. well? Yes. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So, so, so it's really like regional. So my father has worked in this uh, town for over 32 years. So. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yes, I, I love that, being able to carry some of the tradition to um, – so much of the early cannabis industry, the legal side of it was disruptive, um, pulling people out of their states. You know, I ended up leaving Kansas, running to Colorado, basically to join the space. And I think a lot of there was a lot of weird migration that happened there. So it's cool seeing like folks return home, uh, complete the circle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> that's still that's still the goal. Is trying to get over to the Midwest for me someday and. Uh, open a license on the streets that I used to be uh, kind of wheeling and dealing there. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Honestly, I love Michigan. The, the market here is a little tough, you know, with unlimited licenses. It uh, definitely makes it different. I, I don't know that yeah. any actual right. non-commercial one could get into like the actual retail space of it. I mean, I feel, I feel for these small growers who have to just deal with the dispensaries and wanting to pay them nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the coolest things is that, you know, we have the outdoor space and our grower can go over there and smoke after shift with people who are there smoking. Actually get some customer feedback live. Yeah. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine not being able to offer that or selling a product that I don't even know what the quality is. These disposals don't know. That's a good point as well. The, uh, the supply chain and kind of the standard distribution method. It's like they're so separated that by the time you buy a product in a market like Vegas, at least in most of the businesses, it's if you tell the dispensary it wasn't good, they can say sorry or you know customer service you. But you're so disconnected from whomever was responsible for that being bad that it's it, it's almost not even worth giving the feedback. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, being able to connect that cycle, um, there's something called the innovation cycle. And basically relies on that consumer feedback, like putting, getting something out to market, getting feedback, making a decision, getting it out again. And they know the faster that happens, the obviously the more goodness that comes out of the, the funnel. So it sounds yeah. like you guys have things, um, things up and running. Um, what was the most stressful thing about getting the building ready to go for that, that grand opening or the fateful day that you kind of opened your doors? Um, I mean, I think everything, I'll be honest with you, doing, doing processing, <laughs> kind of compounds, growing, huh? retail, like once we got through setting those up, I mean, you're putting out so many fires, like we were the first butane processor in the county. So we essentially set the bar for the fire inspectors and the local jurisdictions. So there Hopefully was, didn't put out any actual fires. No, no. <laughs> so that's good. We haven't had the actual fires, knock on wood. Hey, um, yep. It's been great. But, you know, jurisdictions are very cautious about it. Because we all hear the stories about the garage that blows up, open blasting, and yeah, you know, kind of all those things. Yeah, I had a um, a grower I was originally working with in Colorado had a side porch exploded, for lack of better words, um, because of an an extraction process gone awry. So I've, it it can definitely be uh, it can definitely be rough there. Uh, but in the industrial setting and kind of in the in the professional setting, right? These machines are made to made to thrive in that space and, and work through quantity. 
Um, what kind of extractions are you guys running in the processing side? We do butane hash oil extraction for the majority of our extractions. Okay. And then and then we do uh, ethanol winterization for distillate. But we're honestly we're moving away from distillate. We're going more to live resin. It's kind of what uh, we've seen is a little bit more. The market's moving that way. Kind of moving moving with the space or letting the consumers drive that that decision. Yeah, I mean that's one of the greatest things about the micro license is I get direct feedback from our customers. Yeah. I know what they want. I I I mean we have customers in the lobby right now. You know, I can walk out there and say, Hey, what are you looking for? What can't you find here? And right. really big box retailers can't first of all, as we just talked about, they don't get that they don't get that exchange. They don't hear that information until, you know, three, four people down the line. So they're not they're not gonna change. And even if, if they could change then at that level to enact change in such a big system starts to become a whole ordeal. You have to call meetings and, you know, schedule like budget decisions. And um, from that micro business side, it's, it can be easier to experiment. I can, I can definitely see that. Do you keep the same cultivars rotating constantly or do you bring in kind of new genetics to supplement that every once in a while? Okay. So that's, that's a great question. Our grower is adamant on genetic purity. He, there are things I can do, he'll do, messing around with anything but pure F genetics, not a thing. So we carry, <laughs> awesome. we carry Kilimanjaro, KwaZulu, African Frost, Pakistani Citral Kush, and then we make F1 hybrids out of those F5 or F6s. Um, we've just moved into acquiring some new F5, F6 genetics, but honestly, our biggest concern in this in this whole market is we're losing the old school genetics because people want to grow easy plants. Well, not people. Let's com- companies want to grow easy plants, but the experience for the consumer is terrible. They want to grow a hands-off plant that can yeah. be resilient enough to survive a little bit of drought, a little bit of, of rough temperature, you know, maybe over salting, you know, all mm-hmm. kinds of things that come from that sort of hands-off workflow. Um, and they want a higher THC percentage, which sometimes isn't found in that in that yeah. quality smoke. Not to knock the quality at all. It's THC percentage maybe isn't as valuable as unfortunately a lot of the market is um, is seeing. Is Michigan still on the on the THC train the way that everywhere else is, or have you seen any any shifts in that perspective? Uh, yeah, I think that's another great question. I think. Um, we're moving away from it. I have had a lot more conversations cool. the last couple months yeah. about is anything over 25 really over 25? You know what I mean? When you start looking at land races and, you know, honestly, our best seller is our Pakistani at 8%. So wow. yeah. when, when you have <laughs> that, you know what I mean? It, it, you, there are customers that are making that change. Um, people come in and they want the higher THC percentages. And normally when we give them our strongest, which is about 22, I haven't had anyone come back in and say, I wish it was strong. There's not, you're not really telling like another, or you, or you get diminishing returns, right? As you start stepping up that, that yeah. percentage yeah. and it, it starts to become more like bragging rights or perhaps just not accurate as you're saying. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's a strain of Michigan that came in at 48%, Rob. You tell me. That, that okay. plant would look like crystalline structure. Yeah, that'd be crazy, right? <laughs> it would just be like leaves on a crystal. Yeah, yeah. for real. <laughs> It'd be like one of those rock candies growing in yeah. a pot. Yeah, just a THCA diamond in a pot. 
<laughs> we try to do a lot of customer education. So we have like a lot of resources that people can take home about like the entourage effect and terpenes and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, some customers are about it and they want to learn about it. And some customers just aren't quite there yet. So Yeah, it's kind of a different um, or everyone's at a different step on the same path exactly. there. Yeah, that's great of you guys to provide those educational materials and it'll help open the doors for folks to appreciate the craftsmanship. I uh, gave a session at a few conferences here this last year about cannabis connoisseurship and about trying to encourage your consumers to explore the menu and um, be willing to come back or maybe even have larger cart totals. And I think building up that connoisseurship vibe is a solid way to do it because your connoisseurs want the premiumization. They want the unique experience to try different things or um, test the new product versus maybe a, a newer consumer that just uh, would like to buy some for the first time in 20 years or sure. you know, ha- yeah. wants to have a pre-roll with their buddies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think we really see both sides of that. We do full facility tours. We're the only ones in the state that do it. Oh, sweet. So, and we offer hands-on. You know, A lot of times you go to a tour, you, you look in a window. Okay, that that's not going to do it, though. So we offer tours that are about an hour and a half, and you go through and touch the plants and see how the buds are trimmed, see how the processing happens. You and get I, all garbed yeah. up, head to toe, in PPE, little booties, hairnets, the whole spiel. The um, regalia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it, that's excellent. Go through that, it gives them that kind of your experience. And then you, you, can, you, you see the connection being made as to what is concentrate. You know, what, how are you getting this? What's... And you lose a lot of the stigma, to be honest. Yeah. You put your hands on a big plant, all of a sudden, marijuana's not so scary. You're, so, you're truly seeing how it started. And even yeah. seeing some seedlings first, you know, you're not intimidated by the flowering plant down the hallway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people want that, but there still is, like, that embarrassment to ask or that reluctancy. We deal with a lot of – our target market is 40 to 60. And so we deal with a lot of the people who were, you know – Pounded with the propaganda, you know, propaganda against marijuana. Yes, kind of drowned in it. That it's gonna make them, you know, have an out of body experience. Like, so working with those people, I had a lady come yesterday who was like, "I smoked your African frost first time ever in my life," and I giggled for hours, and it was perfect, and I was afraid for nothing. But that is still a huge prevailing opinion out there: is that you smoke it and you're you're gonna go crazy. Yeah. Right. That that level of stigma is very slowly <clears throat> being rolled. <clears throat> Yeah. Taking some time, I think, uh, even like fa- I have some family members that know I'm in the space now and, you know, industry starting to open up where they live, but still sometimes they're like, oh, you know, I, I drive past that dispensary every day. You know, one of these days you're going to have to come here so I can go in there. And <laughs> yeah. so there's definitely like a reservation that, yeah. you know, consumers have where it's not that they need a lot of help, but that it's like a little guidance or a little bit of a, uh, a guide or assistance there is needed to get started just <laughs> or find their footing yeah. right, to ask a question so one thing that we recently did is we have a big like you know michigan's a big microbrewer state so we partner with the biggest microbrewer in our city and they're going to make a beer that replicates our flavors and then we're going oh, to site to answer questions yeah. but really getting in front of that audience and being able to answer the questions that they're a little bit afraid to ask alone that makes all the difference Right, and kind of plants that seed for, for connoisseurship down the road. Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we took them all through a tour, and they were amazed at how much of our equipment is the same as theirs. Oh, so they were actually seeing some of the, they were coming with a, 
grow knowledge already and trying to see yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> you know, which of them, you know, their 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 choice is hops, right? But just the, the way we extract and distill, they, they do the oh, same thing. Oh, for things. the extractions. I yeah. see. Yeah. And, okay. And it, it was crazy. Our requirements as far as CO2 monitoring goes, when they have none. And their CO2 is higher than ours ever is. Because, you know, they, they can in their facility and all that. And I couldn't, it, it just shows you how unknown the industry is to regulators. Yeah. Yeah, right. So they set these bars that are just not really realistic yet. Right. Looking at, yeah. looking at true industry or other manufacturing spaces. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very odd, even from the compliance side, to have, you know, like metric, for example, in the beer that you buy, you don't get a package tag on that beer to trace back all the way to the hops that yeah. were grown to understand the lab results that were passed before the cultivators sold those hops to the district. It's like to actually have that level of CPG tracking is, is crazy. And, and I, I don't know if maybe cannabis has uh, done something for CPGs in figuring that out along the way. If, what do, you, do you think that we might see that evolve down the road, like with more tracking on like organic food or, you know, like, uh, the other products like beer or pharmaceuticals, or do you think that cannabis has just gone over overboard and it, it needs to be reeled back? I, I I think I think it's a great thing trackable. I wish we had it everything. I just don't think the customer has that much of an appetite. I mean, we provide our results on literally every product we sell at the door, and it's maybe been accessed a handful of times. It's just there for the consumer. It's there, but it's, it's there. not really. And we tell them all, you know, look yeah. into it. You should know what's in the products you're smoking. Da 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 da. It's just the consumer is. They're consuming. They, they, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, they're consuming, and they trust that you're doing it right. So that's why it's so dangerous when companies don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the instruction manual that comes with like your TV yeah. remote. Yeah. You don't really read that because <laughs> you assume you're good to go. You can start TV remoting. And, yes. Uh, exactly. It definitely would be dangerous if they didn't know what they were doing and you didn't read it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talk, you talk about CBGs, look at the vitamin E acetate issue with vapes. Right. And no tracking on that side from yeah. the non-cannabis material. But then we could track all the cannabinoids back to there. Yeah, like, exactly. We, we knew where the, the, we knew the employee. cannabis was good. <laughs> yes. Had everything else in it. Which as a cannabis guy, I guess I'm. that's okay with me. But I could see that uh, we want to know everything else is good especially like vitamins and spices and these other kind of things that maybe have uh, a lower bar. I think there's like a level of insects parts that are allowed in spices, you know, versus like the microbiologicals and things that cannabis has to pass on the yeah. you know, microgram. <laughs> our, our processor comes from a food safety background. Okay, so the, cool. The requirements for our testing are food wouldn't pass. Yeah. Really? And she said food, wow. food would not pass our, our limits. Yeah, so it really is more on the it's it's pharmaceutical uh as far as like the level of limits and the what is it the loqs and things like that yeah well which is why everybody all these commercial growers don't even try they just remediate yeah because they, they know they can they know they can't be below a hundred thousand cfu of sporing they, they know that they know they can't make it so they don't even try they just microwave it all which i think yeah. there is a customer base for that that just wants the cheapest they can get but they should at least know. Yeah, they deserve to be informed. And there's no announcement. Like, that's definitely something that the industry keeps close to its heart, along with the CRC columns. Yeah, yeah. ain't it? <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants yeah. to talk about any of that stuff. 
I, I love yeah. when a company comes out with like a really good, you know, resin vape or a THC diamond. Yeah. And you know, they're using CRC on half that trim. Right. Right. It's a, it's a cured, like a cured, di- uh, beautiful looking product. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't really know. It, it, ju- it just devalues the artisan. Like there is yeah. a, a market spot for it for sure. Just like yeah. Dollar General and Walmart have a market niche. But you're you're devaluing those that are pushing the quality up, and I don't think we want to. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Down. Right, and it's not about necessarily moving all of cannabis down or up. I think it's about trying to provide something for all the, like for every demographic or every kind of need. Because yes. at the same time, we wouldn't want cannabis to be like a closed door. Oh, you have to get this very pure, like hands-on, highly craft product as the right. only thing. Um, but of course, it's good to have that as an option. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. we want everyone to have an option as well. Yeah. How long is the uh, how long is an average cure right now um, in your facility? Like, um, but drying and curing normally takes about two months. So you guys are giving it some time to breathe and really. Um, oh, you have to express it, itself there. Yeah, I mean, we you know we we started with a month cure and it wasn't quite long enough. We noticed that the really the smells and the terpene mm. jars was best around two months so we just hold it that's because awesome the, yeah and you're putting out a subpar product you put 160 days in to grow this thing you can't wait 30 more <laughs> yep just yeah. a little more patience right and you'll get those yeah. jar jumping aromas exactly. a big thing here now is freeze drying growers kind aren't of drying hit, anymore hitting it immediately drying. yeah right it, just it, to it lock everything in percentage too because it's you know weighs nothing at that point but there's there's something happening there with the plant. Yeah. It's not a natural, you know, it's not what we've been doing for years. Right. I know that's a common, like, step in the extraction process, too, to, to just freeze it live right away before you can lose all those, all those compounds and things. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to try, like, some side-by-side to truly tell you. Because I think I could tell you, like, an opinion. But I, it comes more from my, like, my thoughts, like, how it should be. But in reality, if I was trying it next to each other, there might be a chance, you know, like Pepsi Coke or something. I couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 for real. One of one yeah. of our biggest thing is everybody too loves a good pre roll, but everybody wants to roll the cones. Okay, I don't right. know. If decided cones were a good pre roll, not in my opinion. They always run, and then you're wasting the majority of it right at the tip. So we roll, we roll half gram, half gram with spiral tips, so it feels kind of like a cigarette filter. Okay. And people swear yeah. they last longer than the one grams. So um, straight pre-rolls then with half grams? Yeah. Nice. Found um, just more success overall. Yeah, on- it's a way better smoking experience. I mean, my guys in back, I make them hand close them all and hand tamp them. It's really I, giving yeah. it that touch. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a firm believer that you can tell if it's crap. It's made with somebody's hand. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, especially on the pre-roll side, if it's not, um, if it's too industrial or too automated, you can get something that's just packed very tightly. I mean, running is almost not a problem because you just can't, can't breathe through it and it's just, or it's just twisted so tightly, you know? Uh, so that, that side of the pre-roll market definitely needs some love. And I think half grams is a good, is a good place to start because, as cool as it may sound or may look or be to have like a huge blunt and, you know, kill an eighth in a, in a pre-roll or in something you made yourself, 
it's so inefficient and about halfway through it really doesn't taste great anymore. Yeah, exactly. You got to ask yourself what they, what you're getting out of this. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with you. We, we, we actually made this shift. We talked to a lab, I think early on and they said, you know, honestly, anything more than a half gram, you've already boiled off all the terpenes and you're just smoking ash. It's yeah, you're right. not gaining You're not getting any higher statistically. You're not getting any higher smoking a cone than you are a half gram straight. And in fact, you're burning off the terpenes faster because the end is hotter. So really, uh, who does a cone benefit? The people filling them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the people rolling them. Because if you can yeah. roll a nice cone, which is something I've been working on, um, <laughs> there's a certain, there's a kind of like an origami feel. Like it's it's just kind of nice. Um, you get in the zen feel of it. And when, it, when it's done just right, it's like, ooh, I would... I would show this to somebody. <laughs> you know, you just there's a, it feels just right. <laughs> yeah, but that's, uh, that's, you need to come out to the bowl and you can smoke with all the lovely people here in Muskegon. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like I need to get out there and do some Gangier reviews of those strains. the The Gangier program uh, talks about how a pre roll or a joint hand rolled um, either or is the best way to experience the flower because. Through that inhalation, you're getting all the boiling point, all the different temperature variations. Mm. You have your combustion, you've got the vaporization at basically a huge range of temperatures as it gets pulled through the joint. Um, so they kind of look at that as the most um, like pure or the most comprehensive way to experience that flower. Um, but I think it's a an approach maybe that others that you don't think about with pre rolls being that easy go to, um, you know, just grabbing yeah. the I, I, in one or two. I think you're right. I think for a lot of people, pre-rolls are bottom of the barrel. And we actually, we flipped that. We centered, so we do pre-roll flights. That's what we give most of our new customers. Because a, okay. a lot of our strains are land race, right? So when you when people tell us they've smoked a sativa, chances are they've not. They've smoked a hybrid, you know, and they're not really expecting the only the head high. You know, you're getting that racy, creative focus. You know, and even our pre-urnicas, most of the stuff in the market, like we talked about, is hybrid. So we do the flights, and the amount of people that come in and think they're indica people but are really sativa or vice versa, it's probably around 70%. Yeah, I, I can imagine it's a, it can be an eye-opener there um, coming in and trying, you know, some of those land race strains or more pure sativa side, just very euphoric effects um, all kind of in the head or like kind of cla like cloudier. It's hard to describe different highs, I think. But one way I've been trying to do that is like with indicas and more like caryophyllene and myrcene heavy strains, I feel it like really in my eyes and mm -hmm. like kind of like I can't, exp it, it like pulls me down, I feel like from the front where like a sativa is more like pulling me back um, in the, in my mind state, I feel. Uh, it, impossible to put it in words, but uh, yeah, I, I would consider myself an indica guy only because I think too much. Um, and if I have a sativa, there's a chance I'm going to start even thinking more and planning and scheming and uh, who knows what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, sometimes I like to settle it, but I have found terpenaline dominant strains like, um, like Trainwreck or Jack Herrera are like more on the sativa side. But that terpenaline effect is um, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. 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 So you, brought up, you brought up a good point that sometimes it is hard to differentiate, like, which high and what strain did I smoke that gave me that high. 
So like when we have customers that get a flight, we give them a little cannabis log where like it has a space oh, for them cool. to write down what strain they smoked, what sort of aroma they felt from it, what effects, all that sort of thing. So they can kind of uh, keep themselves organized and then learn which strain, you know, gave them the effects that, that they like the most. Yeah. And that, and That's awesome. Here, yeah. We also give activity suggestions. I mean, specifically, you know, like some of ours are puzzles or, you know, going out and, and playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatnot. Because I feel like, you know, if you do something new, when you try a new strain, it's just such an enhancer to the experience. Right. You can kind of tie that um, to the to the sense, to the memory, yeah. right? Um, when you're trying to tell like one aroma versus the next, you know, it's it can be easy to tell like sweet, um, you know, spicy. But to tell really those like different types of sweetness or find maybe lemon, um, mm. the way that the ganjier and the aroma folks recommend doing that is associating it with the memory and trying to think about like a time in, in your life or an experience you had and being like, it's like that lemon. And that's actually more easily distinguishable. So putting that activity with the uh, consumption is interesting. You know, I wonder if that has impacted anybody or started any new hobbies. Got some RPG players yeah. coming in to grab that strain now. <laughs> we, yeah. we were just on the radio with a guy who comes here all the time. And he's like, you know, one of your things was to do a puzzle. And he said, so I went out. And I bought a puzzle. Hey, yeah, that's bet, awesome. I, I had a, I'm doing a puzzle. <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, my wife loves puzzles. I don't love them so much, but I try. Yeah. I, I give it the try. When, after the, at a certain point, when you're just checking the pieces and not really looking for any matching designs, it starts to feel like smoking that four-gram joint. <laughs> what, what, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. You smoke enough of that four-gram joint, you know, the puzzle will look done for you. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, uh, uh, anything exciting coming around the corner here this summer or any um, any projects in the works with uh, a new cultivar you're excited to harvest or a uh, new product around the corner? Yeah, actually, uh, all of the above. Um, so we're, <laughs> hey. we're, we're rolling out live resin vapes and infused pre-rolls. Those should be out in the next couple of weeks. We're pretty excited about that. We're sponsoring Rebel Road, which is our biggest uh, motorcycle rally. And then we're also sponsoring Irish Music Festival here in September, which is like a big concert down right across the way from us. And we're hey. also putting on an expungement clinic in the fall as well. Wow, that, that's great. And it's good to hear how, um, how much you're doing there to impact the community and, and kind of, uh, you know, be a, one of those businesses that's uh, kind of in the front, right? Um, and in the light. I know that sometimes cannabis business can be you know, off the highway back in the industrial yeah. section. Uh, yeah. Kind of minding its business or, or doing its own thing and getting involved in the community is a surefire way to remove that stigma and encourage more folks to get involved. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been awesome to see the city come together. We've talked to a lot of people who are pretty anti. When we first talked about it, we brought them through, we've had tours, and hmm. to see people's mind change about cannabis is one of the most worthwhile things that I've experienced in seeing that moment right that, yeah yeah that it, 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 i tell you what it normally <laughs> happens in the drawing room i'll be honest with you we go through the tour the drawing room and then they're like this is pretty cool <laughs> seeing those racks and racks of yeah hanging plants yeah right? and outside of going to muskegon and and tracking you down uh by foot where can our listeners uh reach out or connect with you guys and indie grow 
They can follow our socials. Um, they're IndigroMI. And also our website at IndigroMI.com. Hey, awesome guys. Thank you so much for jumping on today. All right, thank, thank you, you Rob. So much, Appreciate Rob. it. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show, along with our services and courses, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis software product management, cannabis education courses, and freelance writing. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.